0: Welcome to Thoughts on the Market. I'm Michael Zizas, head
1: of U.S. Public Policy Research and Municipal Strategy for Morgan Stanley. And I'm Stephen Byrd, head of Morgan Stanley's North American Research for the Power and Utilities and Clean Energy Industries. And on this
0: edition of the podcast, we'll be talking about clean energy and the latest developments for the bipartisan infrastructure deal and President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. It's Tuesday, October 26th at 10 a.m. in New York. So, Stephen, with the negotiations winding down on the legislation Congress is considering around the president's economic agenda, I wanted to speak with you because you cover a sector, clean tech, that's really at the nexus of many things Congress and the White House are trying to achieve. In particular, even as the size of the economic and climate package has been cut from $6 trillion to $3.5 trillion, now perhaps as low as one and a half trillion trillion, one one constant has been a potentially large amount earmarked for clean energy infrastructure. By our estimate, there could be roughly $500 billion of new money allocated towards this goal. So last month on the podcast, you outlined eight headline proposals. Maybe we could start by updating everyone on those proposals as they stand now in the scaled
1: back version of the bill. Yeah, thanks, Mike. There is still a lot of support for clean energy in the draft legislation. Let me walk through the eight elements that uh, investors have been most focused on, give you a sense for just how broad that support is. Number one and the boldest of these proposals is a Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP. This would essentially push all utilities and load serving entities to adopt clean energy and phase out fossil fuels. Number two is a new tax credit for energy storage and biofuels. Number three is a major extension of tax credits for wind, solar, fuel cells, and carbon capture. And the payment for many of these technologies is higher than they've been in the past. Number four is significant incentives for domestic manufacturing of clean energy equipment. Number five is what's often referred to as direct pay for tax credits. This essentially provides owners with the immediate cash benefit of tax losses that avoids these companies needing to go monetize those tax losses via the tax equity market to the same extent that they do now. Number six is support for nuclear power. There's a production tax credit for nuclear power output. Number seven is a major clean hydrogen tax credit. And number eight is significant capital to reduce the risk of wildfires. So it is very broad, very far reaching. It has impacts across the board. So which kinds of companies do you
0: think stand to benefit the most from this funding?
1: It's really interesting. Quite a few subsectors that I cover would receive significant benefit here. I'll highlight the biggest beneficiaries. So first, any company involved in green hydrogen, I see quite a bit of benefit here. The tax credit for green hydrogen is $3 a kilogram. That is a very large amount. And we think will incent customers to adopt green hydrogen more quickly. It will incent developers to build out the infrastructure needed to both produce and distribute green hydrogen. So a number of companies from fuel cell companies to those involved in uh, the industrial gas business to clean energy developers, I think, will see a significant benefit there. Another category would be renewable development companies. So the tax credit for wind and solar and storage is increased. In the case of storage, this is the first time energy storage would get a tax credit. And this further lowers the cost of clean energy. Another category that could be quite significant is carbon capture and sequestration, This technology would receive a significant benefit in terms of the payment per ton of hydrogen. And we believe in many cases this is going to be really the amount needed to get essentially over the finish line. That is to provide enough support for those big carbon capture projects to actually get built, which is really quite exciting. Biofuels gets a big benefit. Anyone who wants nuclear power would receive a significant benefit. And also companies that are working to reduce the risk of wildfires would receive significant government support. So you can tell it's just very broad and touches on really uh, every subsector that we cover.
0: Now, The Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP, will likely end up on the cutting room floor. Why is this program's exclusion not a bigger problem in your mind?
1: CEPP, it's really interesting. It certainly is a very bold effort to reduce fossil fuel usage. What we find here, though, is that all of the other provisions are so significant that we believe the adoption of clean energy will continue at a rapid rate. To give you a sense, in 2020, renewable energy in the United States was about 11% of power output. By 2030, we project that that can approach around 40%. That is a huge increase in just a decade. That is predominantly driven by economics, the cost of wind, solar, and energy storage is dropping so quickly that many customers are adopting clean energy based purely on economic grounds. And the elements of support in the draft legislation would further enhance those economics and push customers in that direction anyway. So we do see a big shift occurring with or without the CEPP. Fortunately, there are many other elements of support in this draft legislation that we think is going to really provide a boost to many clean tech technologies, many business models, and we're excited about the growth that that would bring.
0: What about the other types of companies you cover, utilities? This government investment seems like a step toward developing a very different type of business model for them. What do you think the outlook for the sector is?
1: I'd say the government support for clean energy that's in this draft legislation does have a number of benefits for utilities. So we see in parts of the country a virtuous cycle that's been forming. And let me walk through how this is playing out. The coal power plants in many parts of the U.S. are quite expensive compared to renewable energy. So for example, in the Midwest, the cash cost to run a coal plant could be three times as high as the cost to build a new wind farm. And so what utilities are doing is they are, in a very careful, measured way, shutting down coal, replacing that coal, typically with a combination of wind and solar and energy storage, and typically customer bills are not going up as a result because of the benefit from avoiding the cost of running those coal plants. That virtuous cycle is resulting in better earnings per share growth. Now, with the government support that we're seeing in this draft legislation, that shift will accelerate. We will see more transmission spending, for example, more energy storage spending. It will boost the economics of wind and solar, which is fantastic. Also, in terms of risk mitigation, the capital that's in the bill that would help with dealing with the physical damage from climate change, such as wildfires, is another area of benefit. The cost from climate change to our sector is rising. And so government support there will help essentially defray a cost that's becoming quite significant for some of our utilities so you know i think you're right to point this out the utility sector is quite a big beneficiary here and you know many of our best-in-class utilities can achieve we think seven percent sometimes eight percent eps growth over a very long time period and by very long i mean a multi-decade time period that to us is quite exciting because risk adjusted that growth is quite excellent For many of our utilities, the risk to achieve that is fairly low because the economics of what they're doing is so clear and so compelling. So we are excited about the impacts to the utility sector. Stephen, thanks for taking the time to talk. Great talking with you, Michael. As a reminder, if you enjoy Thoughts on the
0: Market, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. It helps more people find the show.
1: The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or a solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your
0: financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you.